The Old Testament lesson appointed for this the second Sunday after the Epiphany is taken from 1 Samuel chapter 3. The young man named Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Lie down again. And so he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But Eli said, I did not call, my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the young man. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down. And if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant listens. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and he stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew, because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever." Well, Samuel, he lay until morning, and then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, here I am. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything, and he had nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as the prophet of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The epistle is from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, the sixth chapter. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. 
And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside his body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the first chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. This Gospel reading will also serve as the basis for the sermon this morning. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. And he found Philip and he said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, you were under the fig tree, and I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Well, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for this morning's message is the Gospel lesson that I read to you just a few moments ago, but this time I'd like to read it to you again, this time from the New International Version. We read from John 1, 43 to 51. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, and finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida, and Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. Now, when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. And Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. 
And Jesus said, you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than that. And then he added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is our text. In the name of Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, the King of Kings. A very generous man was walking past a restaurant one day, and he sees a poorly dressed boy with his hands and his nose pressed against a restaurant window. Are you hungry? The boy, the man asks. And the boy replies, I sure am. And so the man takes the boy into the restaurant and orders him a hearty meal, and the meal is brought out to the boy, and it, it's sitting before him. But the boy shows no interest in it. Aren't you hungry? The man asked. Don't you want to eat? And the boy answers by saying, Well, that boy looking in the window is my younger brother. How can I eat with him standing there looking at, at me like that? And so the man goes outside and he brings in the younger brother and all three of them sit down and have a meal together. Isn't that the way of being a follower of Christ? Here we are partaking of a delectable meal. We are singing uplifting music. We are confessing our sins and hearing God's word of forgiveness announced to us. We're raising our voices together in prayer. We're able to reflect upon and meditate upon the Word of God as it's being read to us. And later on, those of us who are here are going to be able to partake of the holy meal of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And yet, isn't there a sense of uneasiness among us? An unsettledness, maybe. A stirring within us. For here we are enjoying this meal while we have family and friends and classmates and neighbors and co-workers who have their nose pressed up against the window and they're hungry. They're hungry to eat what it is that we are being served by our Lord. That's certainly Philip's case. Before leaving the region of Galilee, Jesus goes out of his way to find Philip. And he says to Philip, follow me. It's like Jesus is inviting, come, come and eat. And what sane person rejects such an invitation from the Lord? Especially when we're spiritually starved. Well, Philip responds, Jesus Thank you for the invitation. And I'm going to take you up on it, but I've got a friend who's been waiting for you. And I've got to go tell him about you so that he can meet you too and partake of this feast. And so John in our text tells us that Philip found Nathanael and, and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. We have found, says Philip. Uh, no, Philip, it was really 
Jesus who finds you. But we won't quibble about Philip's choice of words. Because it's far more important to talk about the one who found him. Who found Philip? It's the one whom Moses and the prophets wrote about in the Old Testament scriptures. You see, it's a, the who is, or the good news is a who. It's not so much a what. It's a who. And if we read through the 51 verses of John chapter 1, we see that John outlines for us who this one is that is speaking to Philip. We read, for example, that he is the eternal word made flesh. As we read John chapter 1, we're told that this who is God who participated in the creation of the world. That he's the true light who lights the world for all who are living in darkness. We're told that this who is talking to Philip is, is the only begotten Son of the Father. That he is greater than John the Baptist. That he is Jesus Christ. That he is the Lord. That he is the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. We're told that he is the one who will baptize with the Spirit. We're told that he is the chosen one. We're told that he is the rabbi. We're told that he is the Messiah. We're told that he is the one of whom Moses and the prophets wrote about. And we're told that he's the king of Israel. And we're told that he is the latter, the one who is the mediator between heaven and earth. And we're told that he is the son of man. This is the one. This is the who. This is the good news that is speaking to Philip. In the 1920s, there was a missionary named E. Stanley Jones, really a, one of the great missionaries of the past century. E. Stanley Jones journeyed to India to share the Christian message with Hindus and Buddhists and Muslims. The task was daunting. It was overwhelming even. And during his struggles, Stanley often wondered what it was that he should really be about because there were so many needs. But then Stanley came to this conclusion, and I quote, I saw that the gospel lies in the person of Jesus, that he himself is the good news, that my one task was to live and to present him. When I understood that, my task was simplified. Our task in life is to live for Jesus and to present Jesus to others. We simply speak of Jesus. We speak of who He is and we narrate His story. We tell other people of Jesus' birth we tell of Jesus' miracles. We tell of Jesus' parables. We tell of Jesus' teachings. We tell of Jesus' death. We tell of Jesus' resurrection. And we tell of Jesus' ascension and His rule and His reign. And as we tell these stories of Jesus to others, we tell them what He means for them. Well, Nathaniel isn't all that impressed by Philip's who. Can anything good come from Nazareth? 
Now, there may be some good-natured small-town rivalry in his response because, after all, Nathaniel's probably from Bethsaida and Jesus is from the rival town, Nazareth. But Nathaniel is probably also aware of the fact of the prophecy in the Old Testament that foretells that the Messiah is to come from Bethlehem. And Bethlehem is nowhere near Nazareth. So how can the Messiah come from Nazareth? As we listen to Nathaniel's response, maybe you note, like I do, a note of cynicism, even a little bit of disdain in Nathaniel's response. The English word cynical comes from the Greek word kynikos, which literally means canine, like a dog. Various ancient philosophers were known as cynics. They were dog-like. They were rude, shameless, and abrasive, kind of like barking dogs. Unfortunately, there are cynics when it comes to Jesus. Yes, there are those who are cynical of Jesus, aren't they? I mean, they're cynical about his virgin birth. Like, really? A virgin giving birth? Who's ever heard of that before? Or they're cynical about Jesus' claim to be the Son of God. (laughs) Must be a liar or a lunatic. They're cynical about his death for all. Really? The death of one man atones for the sins of all the world? And they're cynical about Jesus' resurrection from the dead because who's ever heard of someone rising back from the dead? And they're cynical. Many are cynical because of Christians. And often we give them reason to be cynical. We don't always walk the talk, do we? We hide behind the facades, failing to acknowledge our own sin while also giving off an air of self-righteousness and holier than thou. And along with all of that come all the indiscretions that we hear about and that Christians commit. Our life fails to model Jesus' teachings. And so, yes, there are many cynics, many people barking like dogs, if you will, contemptuous towards the claims of Christ and certainly contemptuous towards Christians who bear His name. Now, we might be deterred in our witness by these cynical responses or by these indifferent responses or the dismissive responses that we receive from others. But note in our text, Philip wasn't deterred. Come and see. That's all he said. Just come and see. Come and see, Nathaniel. Philip doesn't beg. He doesn't argue. He doesn't debate, although there is probably a place and a time for a debate once in a while. But but Philip simply looks into the eyes of his friend Nathaniel and he says, my friend, come and see. Philip knows that the best course of action is for him to be quiet and to let Jesus do the talking for Jesus to make that impression upon his friend. This was the formula that was used by rabbis in those days. They would use the words, come and see, to show that a solution to a problem was possible and that the solution should be sought together. So Philip, he knows Nathaniel. They're friends. There's a high level of trust between them and there's a credibility between the two. So even though Nathaniel might be skeptical and even cynical, he trusts his friend. You can just almost hear the you know, the machinery going on in Nathaniel's head. 
in our text, if Philip thinks this Jesus of Nazareth is the one, then maybe I'd be wise to check him out. That's one of the pluses of witnessing to someone we know. There's an element of trust. There's a credibility that we have in that relationship we have with people that we know. Most people who respond to an invitation of come and see are not the strangers in our life. No. The ones who come and see are typically our spouse or our children, our grandchildren, our friend, a co-worker, a classmate, or a neighbor. People who know us and who we know. People who see that we have some credibility about ourselves. And so Philip accompanies Nathaniel. And together, they visit Jesus. Together, they visit Jesus. Together. It's important that we accompany the person on their journey when we invite them to come and see. It may begin, that journey may begin with us giving that person, that friend, that spouse, that co-worker, that neighbor, a tract that talks about Jesus. And we invite them to read it. And then we also offer to visit with them, to talk about it, possibly over a cup of coffee. And then as we go along, we might give them a Gospel of John, and we read it with them, and we discuss what John writes in his Gospel. We might eventually give them a copy of the Bible, and we might attend a Bible study together. We might invite them to join us on the Version app so that we can read a devotional together throughout the week and comment with one another on it. We might spend some time in prayer together as, as we might say to our friend, what can I pray for you this week? We might issue them an invitation and say, come and see, come and worship with me on Sunday here at the sanctuary or come and worship with me on Facebook Live and we can even have our own little friends corner where we worship together. And yes, it might involve us coming together and saying, let's go to the Christian information class so we can learn about the basic doctrines of the Christian faith together. And we, we go with our friend. Or maybe we give them a good Christ-centered book to read and we read it alongside of them. Or we link them to good Christ-centered music so that they can be enriched and edified by it as well. But we go together. And our witness... Well, it calls for persistence. It calls for patience. It calls for perseverance. And it calls for much prayer. The text tells us when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me, Philip? Or Nathanael asked. And Jesus answered, I saw you while you were under the fig tree before Philip called you. Jesus acknowledges Nathanael even before Nathanael opens his mouth. Jesus takes notice of him. He, he tells Nathanael, I took notice of you when you were under that fig tree. And then remarkably, no, miraculously, Nathanael responds to, to Jesus' words by saying, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. It's quite a confession. It's an ironic confession as well. 
in that Nathanael uses the term king of Israel at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. It's ironic because here he uses it at the beginning of Jesus' ministry and later on, a few years later, near the end of Jesus' ministry, so to speak, as he's hanging on the cross, the cynics, the skeptics, those who've nailed him to the tree, cry out, and I'm reading from Matthew's Gospel, in the same way the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he cannot save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. Here in our text, Nathaniel meant he is, you are the king of Israel as, a, as an act of confession, of, of worship, of adoration. Here the cynics turn it around. They twist it. They twist it so they can mock him and ridicule Christ our Savior. Just as they cr- twisted a crown of thorns upon the king's head. But see, Jesus was willing to take all the cynicism and skepticism and all the hatred that man had towards him. He was willing to be rejected by his fellow Israelites, his fellow Jews. He was even willing to be rejected by his heavenly Father so that as our King, he might die for our sins. So that you and I and every single person in this world might have their sins forgiven by the blood that he shed for them on the cross. Because he was willing to do that for you and me and for all the world, he truly is the King of kings and worthy of our worship and adoration. But now perk up your ears and hear what Jesus says to Nathanael. Truly, 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 I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is a figure of expression in which Jesus is revealing to to Nathaniel and to others that he is the mediator, he is the bridge, he is the ladder between heaven and earth. He is the door, he is the gate. And he's saying, Nathaniel, you're going to see You're going to see with your own eyes this ministry. You're going to see how the Son of God came from heaven above to earth here. And how you're going to see with your very own eyes the miracles I'm going to do. You're going to hear the teachings I'm going to teach. You're going to watch me be lifted up on a cross. You're going to see me raised from the dead. You're going to see that the heavens are open and they remain open. Yes, the heavens are open because Christ died on that cross. And that cross opens heaven to all who believe in Him. It's interesting. You don't hear it in the English translation, but in the Greek translation, in the first part, Jesus is speaking specifically to Nathaniel. He says, you, you, you will see Or truly I say to you, Nathaniel, but then he says, but you all shall see heaven open. You all will see heaven open, plural. It's not just going to be Nathaniel who sees the heavens open. He's not the only one who's going to see that Jesus is the King, the Savior, the one who died and rose again. But Philip's going to see this. Peter, James, John, and Andrew, they're going to see this. 
All of Jesus' followers are going to see this. And you and I see it too through the witness of the writers of the New Testament. And what do we see? We see the heavens open to us. We see that Christ is our Savior. He is the Son of God who came into this world to be our Savior, who suffered and died for us. He is the one who conquered death once and for all. And so we rejoice. We rejoice with Nathaniel, who, by the way, is also named Bartholomew in the Gospels, one of the twelve who walked alongside Jesus during his earthly ministry. So I guess this morning with all that I'm saying, I'm trying to get you to think about who's the Nathaniel in your life? Who's that person who has her or his face pressed against the window, longing to partake of Christ's feast? because they're spiritually hungry. I invite you to go to them. I encourage you to go to them and invite them to the feast. Go and tell them about Jesus. It's really not that difficult. You just tell them the story of Jesus, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection. That's it. And if they're skeptical, just say, come and see. Come and see. And then let the king, let the Son of God do his thing. Let him speak to them through his holy word. Let him be the one who opens up the gates of heaven to them. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds. In Christ Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> Please rise for prayer. Well, there are certainly many things for us to pray about. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to offer up a prayer of thanksgiving to God for the opportunity we have to return to Him some of our first fruits in terms of our offerings. And so we'll offer up an offering prayer. And then from there we'll go into our general prayers and we're going to pray not only generally for, the, for various things in this world, but also we're going to pray specifically for some people who have asked for our, our prayers. As many of you know, we continue to get people sending us prayers in every week on our email prayer hotline, so to speak. And so the first few prayers I'm going to offer up are on behalf of those people who have asked for us to keep them in prayer. And then we'll move into some of the prayers of our, of our people here connected to, to our church. And so let us bow our head in prayer. <clears throat>